The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Thank Godzilla. It's Friday. It is Friday, and that means it's Godzilla. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic for The Wrap. I also write for Slash Film, and everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I am also a critic. I write for Slash Film. I don't have a nickname, but I am a big uh, Godzilla enthusiast. This leg of our Godzilla podcast is unbelievably exciting. This is some. This because, is interesting uh, here because this is... I'm in a little bit of uncharted territory personally. <laughs> Whitney has seen all of the proper Godzilla movies. However, once again, if you're new, we were doing a different Godzilla movie every single week on Thank Godzilla. It's Friday. We're doing it on Fridays. And we're covering the entire Godzilla uh, franchise, but we're not just doing the Godzilla movies. We're also doing all the ancillary movies featuring uh, characters, monsters, and other things that will eventually come into play, or also perhaps some of the spinoffs uh, over time. There were several Godzilla movies in a row, and then Godzilla took a bit of a break in the late right. 50s and early 60s, but there was still lots of Godzilla-related stuff. It just didn't relate to Godzilla yet. Yeah, so we're God watching some really cool kaiju movies and sci-fi movies that will eventually connect to Godzilla. But right now, they're just kind of off in their own corner being awesome. Yeah. yeah. And not getting um, talked about enough. Uh, there was a very strange phenomenon, if you're a, a person about my age, uh, if you have experience with UHF television. Ah, yes. um, VHF television. Television uh, was probably what you watched. That was your ordinary network TV ran on VHF frequencies. So it's for very, very high, very high frequencies, yeah. uh, and it had to do with you know the the wavelengths of the signals that were reaching your house and coming in through the the antennas. Yeah, UHF uh, was mostly Weird Al stuff. Well, the the Weird Al Yankovic movie UHF was based on UHF channels, and there was ultra high frequency, which was a higher frequency than the VHF, mm -hmm. and those were tended to be relegated to like local stations. Yeah, the, the uh, signal wouldn't go out yeah. as far, or, or they would, and you'd be getting. Uh, we live in Southern California; you'd be getting like Mexican television stations. Yeah. Um, uh, it wasn't the network stuff. It wasn't the sponsored stuff. Mm -hmm. It was. I couldn't really say. Just a lot of unusual things. Well, I mean, there was, uh, a lot there was of, like, public fly, access. Yeah, a lot of public was, access. A yeah. lot of fly-by-night studios. A lot of just mm -hmm. uh, um, little tiny rinky-dink stations that could just sort of broadcast whatever they wanted, mm -hmm. uh, whatever they could get their, get their hands on. And uh, if you were sick of the ordinary cartoon shows mm -hmm. that were on the, the eight channels you had. Mm -hmm. <laughs> eight? Well, <laughs> we had two, two, four, seven, nine, eleven, and thirteen. Those were our stations. Yeah, six. Six. We had six channels. Yeah, that was the regular. And then we had 28, which was PBS. That's right. 
But that that's but a UHF. That's that a UHF. UHF it's true. It's true. Uh, Twenty eight was, P- oh, was PBS was like, here in like the, California. That was like uh, A E I O U and sometimes Y. PBS yeah. was sometimes Y. Yeah, so it was I, kind I would, of another station, but, but you have if, to click an extra thing if, to get if to. If you it. had an older TV set, it would have a dial. Yeah. For the VHF stations, and then a second dial underneath with like a hundred numbers on it, like one yeah. through a hundred for all of the UHS UHF stations you could tune into. Yeah. And it was here delving into UHF that I discovered treasure. Uh, yeah. The, it's where I first saw uh, some of my first uh, anime. Mm-hmm. Uh, Transor Z yeah, was one of my favorites them, yeah. when I was a kid. Uh, it was called Mazinger Z in, uh, in Japan. For some reason, they dubbed it into Transor Z in, in English. I, 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 that almost was, always feels arbitrary to me when they do it that. It was where I first saw luchador movies, yeah. which are magic when you're a child, mm-hmm. especially when they're... And they weren't dubbed or subtitled. Yeah. They're just I just watched those movies in Spanish. Yeah, for me, uh, the majority of the things I would find on UHF were either uh, really old monster movies, mm-hmm. like uh, the silent uh, Phantom of the Opera. Oh, wow. It was like okay, almost yeah. on constant rotation. You can always find it somewhere. Well, uh, so a lot of the, the movies that lapsed into the public domain yeah. were on there, because anybody could show them. Yeah, and, uh, and also Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. And a lot of mm-hmm. Doctor Who for some reason. That was the only way to get it when in the yeah. 80s. Uh, I'm not even sure they had the rights to it all the time. But it was also on those UHF stations that I saw uh, Godzilla and Gamera movies when I was yeah. a kid. And this is, you know, scheduled TV. This isn't like a streaming service. You don't just start a movie. Yeah. You, you tune into the middle of a movie and you don't know what the hell it is. If you feel like watching a, a, a televised experience of any kind, unless you have a VHS or a Betamax player... Or laser disc if you're a millionaire. Well, you didn't record on laser disc. Well, no. My point back. is this: if you wanted to watch anything, uh-huh. you you were at the mercy of what happened to be on. Yeah, it was just a constant you know? stream of the signal. And you could plan your schedule around it, and we often did. So, uh, but if you're not, it's just basically, I don't know, what's on? Don't care, don't care, don't care. Good enough. Boom. Now, yeah, now I learned the, about this thing. This looks really interesting. I'll give it a shot. And you might not even ever know what that is. And, yeah. Uh, oh, my God. My whole memory is littered with things that I caught like five minutes of yeah, when yeah. I was eight years old, and I never found out what the rest, what it's actually called. And then one day, I'll mm. finally like be watching something completely random and be like, be like Lucy figuring out uh, Jingle Bells in the Charlie Brown Christmas special. Uh, That's it! Yeah. <laughs> uh, I had an experience with that, which I, and I thought it was a Godzilla movie. Mm. Um, it was a kaiju film, and this was such a vivid memory from when I was like maybe five years old. Uh, a bunch of people were standing in this giant underground chamber, uh, standing stock still about like six feet apart, like mm. in a line. Yeah. And in the other end of this gigantic chamber was a squid... A gigantic squid monster sitting on a throne. Awesome. It was like King Squid. And this, these people were sort of standing there completely... So I couldn't tell if they were hypnotized or Was it a terrified. giant squid? or just like giant a... squid. Okay. Giant squid monster. And it raised one of its tentacles, pointed at one of the people, and its head popped off. <laughs> and out of its neck grew tentacles, and it turned into a miniature version of the King Squid. And all these little miniature king squids went out and fought a gigantic flaming turtle. And I didn't know what these things were. Okay, well, now that I, you mentioned the gigantic flaming turtle, I think I can guess where Gamera this is came from. around, and they yeah. started showing those Gamera... And it was a Gamera film. Yeah. And the, those Gamera movies started to show on Mystery Science Theater. It's like, oh, great, maybe I get to know which, like, the squid one was. And they never showed that one. <laughs> so I started to doubt whether or not it was a Gamera film, if, like, my mind was conflating they, it with something yeah, there's else. There's probably other bunch of giant turtle movies out there. Um, there's one. There's got to be more than one. No, I, I I haven't 
caught up with it since, but I did know that it's a Gamera film. Yeah, the one uh, uh, the one I had that was always uh, very specific to me was Inframan, which was uh, basically the Shaw Brothers uh, studio in in, uh, in, in Hong oh, Kong. I, I have a bootleg of Inframan. Yeah, Inframan kicked ass. It was the Shaw Brothers version of like Ultraman and Kamen Rider. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that was what I had <laughs> instead of uh, instead of Ultraman and Kamen Rider. I had Inframan, yeah, um, and you know what? Inframan kicks ass. And you know what? MST3K took a whole bunch of shit from Inframan eventually because when they came in on Netflix, all of those like, like bone guys, those are the henchmen from Inframan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the film in, uh, I was talking about the Gamera film. It's Gamera versus Virus. V i r a s. And there, there's a. I'm oh, sho- look at that! I'm showing William a picture of Virus. Yeah, right you can there, you can yeah. Google that yourselves at home. Yeah. Uh, but also, also, I I finally like caught that uh, track down Inframan or uh-huh. Super Super Inframan, as it's sometimes called. Um, it holds up mid seventies. Seventy five. It holds up really good. Actually, oh, it's, yeah, it's really, really fun. Well, a lot of these movies yeah. um, were clearly made on the cheap. But they're made with this weird kind of childlike intensity. Yeah. Uh, so even I'm watching all these as, as adults. First of all, it's it's hitting me right in the nostalgia. I'm watching the Mysterians, sure. which we're talking about today. Yeah. And like my inner seven year old is like waking up and jumping around and like eating sugary cereals and having a wonderful time on yeah. like a Saturday afternoon. It's all very colorful uh, and inventive and super passionate. And it and it follows this very baseline almost storybook like sci-fi logic yeah like where the, these really absurd things happen mm-hmm. but it's told so earnestly and it's and it's told so logically like of yeah. course the aliens would want this that it almost it doesn't feel absurd it just feels like well, this is what science fiction is made of especially when this you're... is this is where you know this yeah. is, and this is still the 1950s sure. a lot of this corny stuff is just being done to the nth degree, and right. we're in nineteen fifty six. Is the Mysterious fifty seven? Fifty seven. Fifty seven was yeah. the Mysterians. Yeah. So we're already in widescreen. We're oh, doing it looks some real like nice. Technicolor yeah. uh, photography. It it just looks fantastic. And yeah. It's it's all of these toys feel so real and so tactile. Yeah, and again, when you're and again, Mysterians is a movie. It wasn't made for children, but mm. there's definitely a childish appeal to it. Everything yeah. is brightly colored and it looks like everything's a toy and um when you're watching these kinds of movies as a kid, the Godzilla movies, Mysterian, Rodan, whatever. When you're a kid, you, you I I think there's a fallacy that some people think children have no taste. Mm. Or they 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 may not have developed a great sense of taste. They might not be able to explain their taste. The kids do have standards. They will look yeah. at something and go, "I don't like this. I'm not interested." Um, that being said, when you're young, you're much more likely, I find, to absorb than question. So yeah. when you when you're watching something, and even if it's and ridiculous, sometimes you like to rewatch just just because yeah. you like those images. You're yeah. Not, Engaging with it, you're not engaging your no, story, not, or characters. You're not, you're just you're not like intellectualizing it. You're, you're, yeah. You like the vibe of it. You like the music. Um, uh, one of my favorite uh, uh, videos to watch over and over again when I was a kid. I would we would rent the set. You know, when you're if, if, back in the video store era when you were growing mm. up, you know, you would rent movies. But there, if you're especially if you're young, there would be like one or two movies you rented a lot. Uh huh. Like you just like oh, I want to rent this again because it's just it's becoming comfort. 
I don't think there was any movie I probably rented more when I was like really young, like five or six, uh-huh. than Giorgio Moroder's Metropolis. Oh, weird. Okay. Giorgio Moroder, uh, Giorgio Moroder was a uh, musician and producer. He produced a soundtrack to Top Gun, for example. Um, and he put together what was at the time the most complete version of Fritz Lang's sci-fi uh, epic, Metropolis. Uh very incomplete by modern standards. We found so much more footage from that movie. But at the time, the best we could get. But instead of just, you know, sort of releasing it, putting, like, you know, organ music in the background, the way you'd get, like, a lot of, like, other silent films on VHS or in theaters, um, he went bug nuts, and he enlisted, like, Freddie Mercury and yeah, Pat Benatar. Yeah, hot, hot uh, yeah, pop acts at the time. Yeah, yeah, to, like, compose music for it and be, turn it into a pop experience, which... You know, it's not particularly faithful, perhaps, to what was originally intended, but it kicked ass. And I was aware of the plot. I could follow the plot, but I was not picking up on the many salient themes yeah. of Metropolis. What I was picking up on was the vibe of it. Uh-huh. I was tone, picking up on the, yeah. the imagery and the way that the imagery uh, interconnected with these wild, uh, futuristic, like, prog rock uh, kind of music uh, and I just was deeply in love with it. Mm. So there's a lot of movies like that, often movies that were made for older audiences, but I would watch them over and over again, but maybe I'd only key into them on certain levels. Uh, I never watched, near as I can tell, I can't remember it, I never saw The Mysterians until this last week. Mm. Had you seen The Mysterians before? No, this is a new one for me. Yeah. I know a lot of people probably grew up with this one. I did recognize some of... The items, some of the the UFOs and other mm-hmm. uh, paraphernalia, uh, as toys that we I mentioned in the previous episode of Rodan, we had a Rodan toy from the nineteen seventies. We had a couple of things from the Mysterians. I, I feel as well. like Moguera, which yeah. is the uh, gigantic beaked, uh, it's kind of robot like a bird looking robot. It, it's kaiju. actually I think it's actually based on a mole. Because okay. the Mulgara is actually it's underground like, at first. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think and, and and the 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 snout is somewhere very mole like. Yeah. Uh, I looked it up and like Mulgara is like there's a derivation of a particular kind of mole uh, that is uh, that is from Japan. Yeah, it's a Japanese mole, uh, Mulgara wagura. Oh, that, uh, also, that's the name of a mole. Okay. Yeah, which is the name of a mole uh, that is is specifically from Japan. Okay. So Madeira is probably inspired at least in part okay. by uh, a mole. The image of Mogera has mm-hmm. somehow like latched itself onto the fringes of popular culture. It's where you might see things like Electro Woman and Dinah Girl, yeah. or Commando Cody, like these yeah. these sort of like pretty obscure, but you've some, probably somehow, seen it somewhere. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You, the image keeps on coming back. It might to have you. been like remixed into like a cool video you saw once, yeah, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and and of course the the Mysterians has a wonderful poster. It's a Mogera, you know, this painting of Mogera like shooting lasers out of its eyes. Yeah, very cool. Um, so yeah, like I, I feel like it's one of those things that's always been a part of my consciousness, even mm. though I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, and and indeed this movie was actually kind of influential in some weird ways and influenced things that I have been aware of for many many years, but I never knew where they came from, and that's always exciting. When you're looking through film history and something maybe you took for granted, mm-hmm. and then you realize that no, no, there was a, there was a there was an antecedent to that. Yeah, there was something that actually. Am I using antecedent correctly? Well, it's pronounced antecedent, I okay. think. But yeah, okay, just want to make sure I'm using that correctly. But 
that wasn't the original thing. That was inspired by something. Yeah. Maybe yeah. directly, maybe indirectly, but that was inspired by something. And that thing might have gotten a little less press when you were growing up. And now you didn't know that that existed. And now you watch it and you go, oh my God, that's where that came from. Holy shit. Cool. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely The Mysterians. Uh, the plot of The Mysterians, this is a film from Shiro Honda, uh, who of course directed uh, Rodan and uh, uh, the original Gojira. Uh, Ishiro Honda did a, a lot, lot of well. We're gonna be watch, we're reviewing a lot of Ishiro Honda films. Uh, Ishiro Honda didn't just do tokusatsu adventure genre films. No, either. no, no. We're focusing on that uh, genre here, but no, he did a lot. Uh, you look over his filmography. He's, he's one of those filmmakers who did like three, four, five movies a year, mm-hmm. and in all different genres. Yeah. So that he did like romantic comedies and melodramas and cop movies. He was uh, he was in, enormously successful. He might not be a name brand. The way that, like, not Hayao Miyazaki... In the United States, anyway, no, in, the, yeah. Yeah, in the United States, might not be a name brand like the way Hayao Miyazaki or Akira mm-hmm. Kurosawa are. But he's that big. Yeah. <laughs> he's really huge. I would love to... Because I've seen a lot of his monster movies. Sure. Because he did a lot of the Godzilla films. Yeah, but you haven't seen, um, have you seen any of his other movies? No, no, no. Um, mm. And he did things like, Come Marry Me. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, my, my Mother is So Sweet. Like... F- films like about clearly about uh, here you are, seniors, juniors, coworkers. Yeah, did these like sort of little slice of life dramas. I would love to see some of those. Yeah, because I'm completely unfamiliar with his non-genre work. And again, a lot of international cinema. You know, it might, it might be somewhat readily available now, although not necessarily. Uh, but back when we didn't have even the option of video stores, and even then. We were mostly in America at the mercy of whatever an American distributor thought might sell to Americans. Yeah. So it was often, if the, a lot of the stuff there was either prestige dramas or, or comedies that would like maybe get Oscar nominations or get reviewed on Siskel and Ebert, or genre stuff. Mm. Monster movies, horror movies, action movies. This is what was most readily available. Um. So yeah, I would also be very excited to see some more Fisher Honda's films, and we should definitely make a point of that. Uh, but The Mysterians is an alien invasion film uh, along the lines of War of the Worlds or uh, what else? Earth versus the Flying Saucers. The, the, the one, uh, yeah. the one that reminded me, and yeah, that came uh, after uh, Mysterians was something like V. Yeah, yeah where yeah. Uh, it's it's in an alien force. They land uh, and then they talk to people, and only then kind of reveal their insidious plot. Because they're not they're not just here to attack us. Yeah, the way that the aliens did in War of the Worlds, the book, radio show, or the movie. Uh, they're here to colonize us. Mm. They are here to make a home here, and they're going to use their superior intelligence and technology to basically not take no for an answer and do whatever the hell that they want. And in the Mysterians, the aliens show up. They're from a mysterious... Uh, it used to be a planet mm. uh, in our solar system, and then it got like destroyed because yeah, of their the, uh, pro- proliferation of their own yeah, horrible... They, uh, giant weaponry and now it's, the, the and now theory, it's a big mess of little tiny planetoids well the theory uh didn't they say like the asteroid belt like was once their home world i think that's kind of what they're that, getting that's kind of yeah. that's what they implied it used to be a planet now it's more like an asteroid belt mm-hmm. and now they are they're out there and they have decided i don't know what took them so long they decided to make earth their home and so they land in japan there is a whole bunch of we'll talk about the whole plot but again just give me the broad strokes uh, a whole bunch of stuff happens. There's 
fires and earthquakes and giant robot attacks. And then finally, they come out and say, hey! Well, that, that whole first giant robot attack, uh-huh. it kind of comes out of nowhere. And kind of they, they th- feels a little arbitrary, actually. They, yeah, they find this big thing. It starts charging through. There's a lot of shots of the military trying to shoot yeah. this thing down. It takes up a lot of the movie. Yeah, a big chunk at the beginning. And again, this is like, we're under 90 minutes for most of these things. Yeah. So, uh... We don't know what this thing is or, or if it's, like, intelligent, if somebody's controlling it, mm-hmm. what it is. Yeah. Uh, and only after all of that do we find out the alien plot. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's actually very, like, segmented. Mm. Um, we open with uh, a couple of characters going to uh, a local festival. And it's all very nice. People are on a double date. And one guy's like, I'm moody and I'm going to leave now. And everyone's like, why are you going to leave, moody guy? And he's like, I'm a scientist and this will be important later. And they're like, oh, okay. And then there's a big forest fire. And they go off to investigate the forest fire. But like the forest fire is coming from the ground up. Which is very volcanic <laughs> right, the, um, and very creepy. They're driving uh, jeeps, and the the yeah. jeeps' tires are melting in yeah. like the heated dirt. It's a lot, of, a whole lot of mystery about it. And uh, uh, the scientist goes missing, and a bunch of other scientists uh, and the military show up to investigate what's going on here. There's radiation everywhere, and I love these scenes of the scientists and the military, and they're just in suits, not like hazmat suits, just like you know. Your, your, Suits your, and ties, yeah. The, you know, your work clothes, you know, going off to the office on a Tuesday. Uh, and they get out of their car, and they, like, ru- run one of those, um, what do you call them? The meters that, uh, ra- ra- radiation. Oh, ra- radiation meter. I, like I think there's a better word for that. Anyway, uh, tachometer, maybe? They're, anyway, they do, um... Oh, um, uh, oh, oh, gosh, it's on the... It's a, Anyway, they go like Geiger counters, Geiger counters, and then when there's a lot of radiation, they go and um, every the the Geiger counter is basically just Chevy Chase and Caddyshack. But they wave this Geiger counter over a bunch of stuff, and the Geiger counter freaks out, and it just goes really high, and they're like, "Oh wow, that's that's a very large amount of radiation." That is, so lunch like they don't they don't run. They don't like put on hazmat suits. Like yeah, it's like we should be extra cautious. I feel what with the radiation and all. No, in in the what wasn't that like the theme of Godzilla? Yeah. Like about the dangers of radiation and yeah. how it's creating these giant everyone's, monsters. Everyone's really blasé about it, but they're, they're like, oh, this is a problem. I'm not going to change my clothes. Mm. <laughs> what, what am I? Um... They try to get they they do eventually try to get out of there. Their tires start melting, and then a mountain bursts open, and a giant mole robot. And I love this thing, and I also find it absolutely ridiculous. The but mole it's, robot because uh, it, uh, its proportions are really strange. It's a weird looking robot. Like it's, it's got, got like a, a long neck and sort of the, that pointed nose. Yeah, it, lo- it looks like uh, it looks like but, one of the spies from Spy versus Spy without a hat. Yeah, yeah. Know, yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, but it, its body is really boxy in that yeah. sort of old fashioned nineteen thirties serial yeah. kind of a way. It, it looks like he's wearing one of those like uh, one of those old timey dresses with like a bustle. A little like, bit, yeah, kind of like shaped out. Yeah, yeah it's, like, it's, it's really a little hippie. Bit. And like, <laughs> unless that, that, that's fine. It's just, it's like, it's just and, not and, the dimensions the, you're expecting the at all. The leg appliances on the monster actor are like clearly oversized. Like yeah. whoever's inside is having a heck of a time walking in that yeah. thing. 
and yeah, and, and it's all like very card, not cardboard, but it's, no. it's all very stiff because it's it, a robot. It, it, it's not the best looking kaiju costume we've seen so far. Honestly, yeah. it, it looks quite good when it's not moving. When it is moving, it looks more ridiculous. But it starts blasting shit and breaking stuff and knocking things down, and everyone's like, "Ah, crap!" Ah, I miss Godzilla. He fights anything. But no, no, they just, this thing's just breaking stuff. They send out the military, it breaks the military, it breaks a bunch of stuff. And then finally, um, they decide after like a really long time of trying a whole bunch of different things to destroy Magera, uh, to just uh, do the abridged version. Uh, and uh, when he's on a bridge, they break the bridge. Mm. Cute. The abridged version. Right, Thank yeah, you. Like, they're, not all, they're not all winners. Um, but they... Are any are any of your puns winners? Uh, wait, wait till we get to Mothra. We'll have a whole bunch of puns oh god. On Mothra. Um, <laughs> the robot is destroyed. Mo- Mothra. Oh god, Mothra. The robot is destroyed, and Mogera is the reason why we're here today because Mogera will show up later on in things. Mogera mm. is just sort of an iconic monster, uh, and he'll appear in other Godzilla media, uh, and but he's gone. After like I don't know, like twenty five minutes into this movie, yeah, first then, act. That's it. Mogera and then is just no the more first kaiju. Act. It's not a kaiju movie. After that, they just threw one in at the beginning, almost as a red herring. Mm. And then, yeah, the aliens are actually. It's like they've been underground for a while, and they, they sort they of bubble this, up to the surface. Yeah, there's this, this little thing that has come up out of the surface. This it, like yeah. base, glowing base thing. Yeah, and uh, those are the Mysterians. Yeah, they're, they're from I think Mysteron is Mysterioid. The name? Mysterioid is the name. Yeah, or, or Mysteroid. Mysteroid. I think is, it's Mysteroid. Is, yeah, Mysteroid is yeah. the name of their planet. And they are fabulous. They have fabulous capes. They, they have they really were, uh, big, brightly colored motorcycle helmets. Yeah. And, and underneath the motorcycle helmets, you might think they'd have like really shadowy like visors on the motorcycle helmets. Mm-hmm. No, perfectly see through. But the people inside them are wearing sunglasses. It's really cool. Looking. It seriously <laughs> should be a be- it should be a more ubiquitous. Halloween costume. It looks awesome, and uh, and they speak in this really kind of halting fashion. Yeah. We are from Mysteroid. We yeah. want to talk to these particular five scientists. Yeah, they invite these five scientists to come to their uh, uh, to come to their base. It looks like um, well, they're invited in, into the base. What's, what's what are the name of the the uh, the super friends fight the evil. Villains the the, the Legion of Evil. Like yeah, the Legion of is, Doom yeah. or something. Not Legion of Doom, but something like that. They have their own Doom base in there. It looks like the yeah. Doom base from Super Friends. Um, the five scientists go in, and they are pr- immediately given high-colored capes. They say, listen, it's a bit chilly in here. You're going to want these cool capes. And then they put on capes. They're, they're sci-fi capes. They're sci-fi capes. That will, keep, that will regulate their body temperature. And I got to tell and they you do something. Have, yeah, they have these little collars. I'm loving all of this because a lot of movies would not bother. They would say, oh, it's a bit cold in here. But mm-hmm. no, 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 no. Everyone wears capes. It's it's like uh, going into a restaurant and they won't seat you unless you're wearing a tie. Yeah. So they give you a tie. I feel like these days they would do a special, like a digital effect. Like yeah. they'd have a glowing, it's like, oh, you have a force field around your body. And they something. Just, or, or even that would be a little too cheap. Like just have a shimmer yeah. and they're wearing their, they just no. have like a CGI suit no, I hate that, that they just sort of like grow around their body. I like the put idea. It in post. I like the idea that if you go into the Mysterians lair, you get to like leave with branded merch. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I get to keep the cape though. Right. I know mean, you're going to conquer the planet, but I get to keep the cape. It's got like the jackpot hard, hard rock cafe logo. on. <laughs> nice. It. 
They go to the Mysterians lair and the Mysterians explain, okay, here's the deal. Uh, we are... Our, pla- our planet's been destroyed. Our planet's been destroyed. We created... Long, long, long time ago. Like hundreds of thousands of years ago. We destroyed our own planet because our weapons are that powerful. Now, here's how that affects you. Our weapons are that powerful. So, don't screw with us. Here's what we want. We want three kilometers in Japan. Yeah. Which doesn't sound like that bad a deal, but we are basically taking it anyway. So, we're just telling you... We're not really asking permission. We're just telling you what's happening. Yeah. Uh, we're taking three kilometers in Japan. That'll just be for us. There's not even that many of us. All right? Uh, and we also want your women. <laughs> we want Look, to mate with your women. Mysteroid needs women. Yeah. And and this right here is a, is a gag that sci-fi has been milking ever since. There was a film in the 1960s called Mars Needs Women. Uh-huh. It starred uh, Tommy Kirk. Tommy Kirk, that's right. It was it's, a comedy film. It's a, it was intended to be a comedy. E- even so, it's abysmal. <laughs> it's so it's bad. It, it's one of those. It's better mo- than they saved Hitler's brain, hmm. but that's a low bar. It, it's one of those movies you kind of need to watch just for its cult appeal. But yeah, yeah it's, it's pretty rotten. Um, yeah, but basically that it is what it says it, in the tin. Mars invades and says, "Mars is we we can't keep our species populated. We need your women." And Earth is like, "Well, no." Uh, you you know uh, Pump Up the Volume, right? The, I've actually the, never the seen Mar- Pump Up the Volume. No, not the movie. The, oh, okay. the, the single. I do know the single. Uh, yes. By uh, it's by uh, this hip hop collective a collective called Mars M A R R S with slashes in between the letters, uh, and uh, they sampled uh, the preview. Yeah. In that that's like oh, the, okay, the only yeah, spoken yeah. lines. You know, uh, other than saying Pump Up the Volume, there's a bit where there's a breakdown and they just say Mars needs women because mm. it's called Mars. That's the name of the band. Isn't that cute? Uh, that was my introduction to Mars Needs Women. Yeah. And then I saw it at the video store, so eventually I kind of caught up with Mars Needs Women. But yeah, it turns out Mr. Roid also needs women. Yeah. Uh, they explain that... I, I don't think they say, like, they're inbreeding. No, or, no, no, like, no. They, genetic they, 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 material. No, no, no the radiation. Weaken. It's the radiation. Oh, that's right. The radiation, the radiation from all of their, uh, uh, well, their various weaponry and... has left their species just... They, they, Pretty much they, sterile. Yeah, yeah. They, have, they have trouble breeding, and so they want... Uh, humans and but they fresh sp- genetic stock. And here's the thing, though: they don't ask for volunteers. They say, they say "Here are the women we want. We're going to fu- give you a like, list, and sh- most of them are people we've met before in the film." Yeah, there was. We didn't say that the film uh, starts with some sort of like Not woods, woods festival. No, it's, 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 I said it opens with a festival Festi- and like a double okay, date, yeah, yeah. and the two oh, women yeah, yeah, in yeah. there are two of the yeah. women who are on the list. I guess they just sort of check the local phone book. And mm. just like, oh, woman, okay, well, well like, one, we need, two. We need to set up our base well, here. There, there actually is a reason for it, and the reason, or, or implied reason anyway. Because the other thing that we discover after the scientists leave and go, well, that's a shit deal. Uh, We're not taking that. We're going to do what we can to try to stop these Mysterians. We don't care for this very much. Thank you. It turns out, as they're like talking with the various uh, women who've been put on the list... Their TV turns on, and it turns out the Mysterians have the power to talk to you through your television, which is another sci-fi conceit yeah. I would see many a time afterwards. Take over your TV sta- yes. signals. And we'll speak to you directly, and you can speak right back to us. We know it doesn't make sense. That's how sci-fi our technology is. And on the TV 
He's the scientist from the beginning of the movie who disappeared. He has and betrayed he's a humanity. Coat. Yeah, <laughs> in very uh, it conquered the world kind of way. Mm, it, uh, Roger uh, Corman Le- film I'm very fond of. Uh, Lee Van Cleef was the yeah. the turncoat scientist. Lee Van, in that yeah. film, Lee Van Cleef from uh, The Good, The Bad, and the Ugly, he plays uh, uh, a scientist who tried to warn. Uh, America, like we we can't keep sending rockets into space because there are aliens on Venus and they want to destroy us. And Americans are like, well, we're going to do it anyway. And you're fired. And so he says, okay, I'll team up with the aliens on Venus and conquer the world. And then he does very easily, in fact. <laughs> but his his downfall is his hubris because he wants because the the Venusians don't just conquer the planet. They send out these little uh, parasites, fly through little, the air, yeah, little yeah. flying manta ray things that yeah. uh, they attach to your neck, implant little things in your neck. Yeah. But then after that, you have no free will, and so everyone on the planet has been taken over by these parasites, except for like three people, and it's the people that Lee Van Cleef chose because without them, he can't gloat. He needs someone to be able to say you were right, and one of them is Peter Graves, and whoever Peter Graves' wife is. Every no, I think she actually is, is taken over. It's Peter Graves, and it's Lee Van Cleef's and wife, played by the Beverly amazing Garland. Beverly Garland, <laughs> one of the greatest movie stars we ever had, who just never happened to star in a big movie. She was she was in a lot of B movies, and she epic. she she gave one hundred and twelve percent. One of the time. great movie stars of the middle of the century. I'm not even kidding. Doesn't matter how bad the movie was, she was stunning. And by the end of the movie, when she's just like climbing into a cave to beat the shit out of a giant space pickle. You're hideous, she said. And it is. It's a terrible looking monster. Frank Zappa wrote a song literally called Cheapness about how bad that monster looks. But I love that movie. It's such a fun fun. But Mysterious has that same vibe. He's the scientist. He's betrayed humanity. You didn't listen to me when I talked about the Mysterio planet. So, boom. Now I'm on their side. The implication... Is that the women who were chosen, are th- they're the women he knows. Yeah. You'd think if he had any sway and he cared about these women, he would say, well, don't take them. Mm. Instead, he's volunteering them up, which is, you know, a dick move. So, okay, on top of everything, the Mysterians have, have taken one of our own uh, as, their, as their Benedict Arnold. I guess our Benedict Arnold. Anyway, he's Benedict Arnold. So now we have to find a way to destroy the Mysterians. And unlike a lot of other movies where aliens attack and it's all up to America or it's all up to Japan, uh, the Japanese government enlists people from all over the world because this is going to affect everybody. And it becomes like this sort of United Nations of kicking ass. And they create mm. like an Earth Defense Force with American scientists and European and scientists and, American and Japanese actors scientists. Who, yeah. are, who are speaking... Japanese very poorly, but they're speaking Japanese. They're speaking Japanese about as well as those characters probably could. Which is fair. Which is reasonable, I think. So they they get away with it. And they try to come up with a whole bunch of ways to destroy the Mysterians. And again, the Mysterians, they're not even flying around. They're just literally in this, like, one spot. And so they they send tanks. The Mysterians melt the tanks. They send rockets. The Mysterians blow up the planes. A lot of the movie... Is little miniatures getting blown up by other miniatures. Yes. And it's awesome. <laughs> it's so cool. The music is great because it sounds weirdly like Beetlejuice. A lot well, of the time, like. I heard a lot of uh, yeah. sort of Godzilla parallels as well. And, and it's. it's yeah. Ikufu, um, Akira Ikufu. Yeah. 
You got Ifufube. it. Ifukube. <laughs> That's it. Me. Akira Ifukube. Ifukube. Yeah. I've yeah. always struggled with uh, with. What is that with names? What is that with names? Yeah, he he did you know the, the main Godzilla film theme and yeah. did a, a lot of the music for the Godzilla movies. Yeah, and so I, I'm I'm hearing a lot of that kind of. It's very brassy. Yeah, uh, I like the the kind of booming noises. He, it, he it's plays. like it's like half this almost uh, uh, John Philip Sousa marching mm. kind of thing, but also very theatrical and presentational. Yeah. It's not just do do yeah. do 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 that. Yeah, that's yeah. that's Godzilla. Yeah, 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 and that's really similar in the Mysterians. Yeah, it's a very yeah. similar theme. Yeah, um, and composers did that. They, sure. they, they had themes. They kind oh, of God. went back to Hans Zimmer. If you go back and watch Drop Zone, there's a scene in Drop Zone, which is this really, it's actually quite good. Uh, it's this action movie from the 90s starring Wesley Snipes as a cop who is on the trail of skydiving criminals. And they're going to like skydive mm. into Washington, D.C. and steal something really badass. So and Hans Zimmer did the score for that one. He didn't see the score. Wesley Snipes says to stop the skydivers. But there's a whole lot of skydiving action sequences. And they're pretty cool because they did them for real. And this movie's in like the mid nineties, like mm. about seven, eight years before he did Pirates of the Caribbean. And Wesley you're watching this movie and it's pretty cool, it kinda kicks ass. Wesley types flying through the air, and then you hear bump 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 No, it's not at speed, sorry, hang on. Uh it's uh how does how does the Pirates of the Caribbean go? Dum dum da da dum dum da da dum dum da da dum yeah yeah. And you're like Hans <laughs> Hans, booby, booby. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's his. It's his to use. I'm not complaining. Yeah, yeah. Like he's, he's, it's, he's just. These are riffs. If you make enough of anything, yeah. patterns will emerge in the work. You make mm. enough movies, people will realize, hey, you kind of do this a lot. Da, write da, enough da, books, da, hey, you kind of write Star this a lot. Wars, yeah, yeah, a lot of John Williams, and, and kudos to John Williams because he can mix it up when he wants to. But when he doesn't, his a lot of the stuff sounds really similar. Yeah. Superman, Indiana Jones, Star Wars, the main themes, mm. they're of a piece. I'm I not going to say they're, uh, they're copying each other, but they're of a piece. I would have to look it up, but I think it was even the same uh, trumpet player hmm. for all of those. I like would be used the same sort of soloist for each of those scores. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and it's the same with anybody, like Danny yeah. Elfman. Yeah, with, yeah. Like, Danny l- Elfman l- eventually changed his style up, but yeah. his early stuff, very similar. Yeah, l- listen to uh, his Batman score and his Dick Tracy score back-to-back. Yeah. Back. They're like... Very, very identical. Yeah. And, that, and you know that was intentional. They were Because Dick Tracy was very much trying to ride the coattails yeah, of Batman. Well, Batman was a huge hit. And yeah. Dick, yeah, Dick Tracy was like kind of a kind of a Batman knockoff in a lot of ways. And it sucks because it's one of those knockoffs where like, yeah, they. I mean, Dick Tracy was a contemporary with Batman. I'm not going to... It's the original version. But mm-hmm. like, they clearly greenlit the Dick Tracy movie and like, because that had been production for forever, like pre-production. And they were like, okay, well, now we got to get this thing out there. Batman's a hit. So yeah, it's, it's trying to ride the coattails of Batman... It's every bit as good as Batman. It's really great. That actually. movie kicks ass. It's really wonderful. It's um, so colorful. I, I, it's so gorgeous. And the makeup is astounding. I, I kind of liked that Batman was a huge hit in yeah. 1989. And Hollywood responded not by making other movies based on comic book characters, mm-hmm. but on 1930s pulp heroes. Yeah. Uh, because that was that, weird. Because that, well, it wasn't weird because that was the vibe Batman came from. No, so we I, had I, films I, like, uh, we had Dick Tracy, yeah. but we also had films like uh, like The Shadow yeah. and The Phantom and The Rocketeer. Well, Rocketeer was... Rocketeer yeah, is was, based on a comic that was inspired by Commando Cody, which was a 1940s yeah, but, serial. But it was all... It's, the, a, it's of a piece. It was based on these, yeah, yeah sort of like 30s and 40s heroes rather yeah. than like more... 
modern te- technological here. And you know, I'm very happy we got those movies. Most of those movies are very good, but it is weird that Batman, who at the time was still contemporarily popular, yeah, whereas Dick Tracy and The Shadow and The Phantom, not so much. Mm. Definitely not as much as Batman. And when they said, oh, Batman was a huge hit, we need to go back... This is what kids like now. Stuff from the 30s. And mm. I'm like, that's not necessarily the logical leap I'd make, but more oh. power too. I think a big part of it is also that a lot of the people who were making the movies were going back to the comp, to the to the superheroes that they liked when they were kids. Well, consider, and those were the things that were on TV and those were the things that were in theaters consider, in the 40s and 50s when those filmmakers and producers were kids. Uh, consider that uh, you, even going back, uh, you know, decade prior to uh, Batman, you go to something like Star Wars. Yeah, that was hearkening back to an early earlier era, and that's what uh, Tim Burton was kind of doing too, is making yeah. this sort of timeless movie that felt very much of the '30s. Yeah. So, kind of sure going, enough, going back to essentially the birth of pulp entertainment, right, was the the way to go. And I, I like that. That's where we went with it. It's, I, I was fun, and I, happy and, that we weren't delving into interlocking superhero mythology. I, you know, I, I'm, I, I like what we got out of it as well. I just think it's kind of a weird move. And funnily enough, Star Wars had the exact same thing. We got Star Wars. It took a few more years, but uh, then after Star Wars, we had Flash Gordon, which predates Star Wars. In fact, Star Wars was originally intended to be Flash Gordon mm-hmm. before George Lucas found out he couldn't get the rights and had to do something new. Um, yeah, they did Flash Gordon, the movie, uh-huh. after the success of Star Wars, and Flash Gordon is so great. <laughs> I so love campy Flash Gordon. And so funny uh, and so imaginative. Oh, I love it to pieces. So, so uh, to, to bring this back around, though, because yeah. Flash Gordon is actually good linking material. It is. Because um, Flash Gordon was sort of reaching back to serials. There were Flash Gordon uh, theatrical yeah. serials in the 1930s and 40s. That's what George Lucas based Star Wars on. There And there's this sort of... I don't want to use the word innocence or, or, or words like innocence or purity, but... Um, well, there's a lack of cynicism. A, a lack of cynicism, just sort of a, a, a an earnest need to be broadly entertaining. Mm-hmm. And it, it was very kid-friendly, but it wasn't for kids. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there was a certain uh, set of tropes that came into being in like the 1930s and 40s that we're still relying on today. Things like alien invasion and spacecraft... Uh, things that were coming out of a lot of the the actual pulp literature of science fiction at the time and mm. kind of being filtered into this uh, really clunky, low-budget version of it because nobody thought this stuff had mainstream appeal yet. In fact, yeah. science fiction wasn't go- going to have mainstream appeal probably until around Star Wars in, in movies. It, would, it wouldn't become... Here's the, I think science fiction always had more mainstream appeal than people gave it credit for, yeah. but it wouldn't well, there have... Were, there were hits occasionally, like yeah. Forbidden Planet, and, and then... Planet of the Apes. Did, did years, but still, Planet of the Apes was a big hit. Yeah, so yeah. they would but, come along every once in yeah, a while. But, it would, but, but it, those were but, expensive movies. But it was also, they would come along the same way that like superhero movies existed long before the mm. gigantic superhero boom of the turn of the century, from like Blade to X-Men to Spider-Man and, mm. and beyond. Uh, but they were they were fewer and further between. Yeah, the, at least the big hits were, um, but yeah, Star Wars was the one that made them a household name. Yeah, that made them something that it's not like everyone you know has seen it. It yeah. is just total uh, uh, mainstream penetration. Um, but yeah, you look at something like the Mysterians, and it is just unabashedly vivid 
and colorful and imaginative and pretty. It's oh, yeah. a very it's widescreen. It is gorgeous. It's as clear as a bell. Yeah. That's yeah. Those it's images. been cleaned up real nice on Criterion. I got to tell you, the Criterion channel is where I watched it, and it looks really nice. Um, some of the some of the models are you know clearly models more so than others. But that adds to their charm. It adds yeah. to the charm. You, you, you get what... You, here's the deal. And this is something that I think a lot of people forget about special effects. Uh, it wasn't until very recently that most visual effects could be considered... Like, anything you would want a visual effect to do could potentially be done seamlessly. Mm. They could actually fool the naked eye. Visual effects... Like when we when you watch King Kong in the 1930s, like it's impressive. Oh yeah. It's also clearly not something that they photographed on set that day. It's a visual effect. Yeah. You know, but and, and it, it must have looked really startling. Oh, it must have been amazing. That, that kind of animation yeah. wasn't super widespread. Yeah, yet, King Kong you know? didn't invent that, but it did it on a bigger scale, and it was really really great. But and I'm sure you know, young people might have been more convinced than others. But regardless, the imperfections were impossible to hide. Yeah. At least completely. And as a result, they didn't not make those movies. They made them with the understanding that the audience would bring a willing suspension of disbelief and a little bit of their own imagination as well in order to fill in the gaps. Yeah, and and as a result, a lot of those special effects were really dazzling. And uh, because uh, they were practical and they took so much gd work from the filmmakers Mm -hmm. uh they had to photograph them in a certain way yeah and they would leave the camera on a model for a long time you could really kind of stare at it take it in they paid for it we're gonna film it exactly um i remember watching star wars the rise of skywalker the most recent star wars theatrical film yeah episode nine yeah and there's a scene where a spaceship lands on another spaceship Mm -hmm. like a little spaceship lands on a giant spaceship yeah and they throw the doors open and people riding alien horses right out on the exterior of a spaceship firing weapons. Yeah. Intending to infiltrate and get bad guys. In principle, there is nothing like, about that, that that isn't awesome. That should be awesome. And I w- and it's like just one of the most boring, another one of 10,000 special now effects Now this images. shit is happening, basically. Because it's, it's in the middle of absolute chaos out there. It's completely tiresome. It's not, the special, special effects, effects aren't treated like they're special anymore. Yeah, yeah. They're just, well, they sometimes they do. I'm not I'm, I'm making a huge overgeneralization, but too saying, often they're not I've, treated like they're special. And I've heard people say, uh, well, this is what the people who are making things like the Mysterians wanted their film to look like. Mm. They wanted to have no limitations. Right. And I would say, no. They would want to dazzle the audience. That was their goal. Yeah. I would uh, say... I would did s- they want things to look real? Mm. No. <laughs> well, here's the deal. I think, I <laughs> they think wanted it to look a, as real as possible, I think maybe. there's something... To, here's the deal. I think there's something to be said with, I'm sure some filmmakers at the time, mm. prob- and this is all speculation, but I'm sure some filmmakers at the time would surely like it to be easier. Yeah, well, I'm yeah, sure some people at the time would, surely wouldn't mind if it was hard, yeah. more realistic. I mean, I'm sure they would appreciate that. But cinematic filmmaking was very, very different at the time. We didn't have the fast editing. We didn't have... It was much more pulled back reserved. But it was also about spectacle. Mm -hmm. It wasn't about massive information dumps. 
it was about spectacle. It was about putting something on the screen. The, 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 screen visual, is... the visual was the point. Yeah, and they wanted <laughs> to see it. Uh-huh. You wanted to have it. That's the whole point of a big screen, a widescreen we have now. It's a proscenium stage. Fill it. Let people see what they came to see. And when something like the Mysterians, you get it. And you see how cool it looks. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, it's 1950s visual effects. But they are colorful, interesting looking. Like the way that like the superimposed animation of the various Mysterian uh, weapons and rays and electricity... It doesn't look like it looks in other movies. Mm-hmm. It looks like the the person who painted that had ideas. <laughs> and it looks really neat. Like, this is absolutely... Uh, did, did you drop acid today? Well, put on the Mysterians <laughs> and you get in for a treat. I'm not, say, I'm not saying you should. I'm just saying if you already have and we cannot stop you, put on the Mysterians. You'll, you'll thank us for it. That's my PSA. Uh, anyway, they, they fight off the Mysterians, and the Mysterians just knock them down. Like they, it's The whole movie is basically them trying to fight the Mysterians, yeah. and the Mysterians stopping them very easily. They, and they, they, and, they have a weapon they can build, uh, and, it, yeah. and this, this is going to be the first of many, many gigantic uh, like radar dish-shaped weapons yeah. that fire like a super laser. Um, yeah. Uh, but they, and they're going to keep on using that like yeah. into the 90s. They'll they, just keep on using that. Towards throw. the end of the movie, they finally come up with a plan. We're going to take this big-ass radar dish, and it can do two things. It can shoot a laser at the Mysterians as powerful as the lasers that they shoot at us, which is nuts. The level of escalation that has happened in the last mm. week, <laughs> scientifically. Well, that's has, why they're bringing in all the, like, the world scientists, yeah. and they're all building I, these I, And I want to talk about that in a second, because it's relevant. Because this movie, it does have well, themes. Um it's it's, they, no, it's notable who brings in the weapon. Yeah, it really does. So so basically, Americans say, "Hey, we've come up with a weapon of mass destruction. It can shoot a beam at them exactly the same power as theirs, which is great. But it can also reflect their danger beams back at them. Yes. So we can completely neutralize them. But it, it's taking some time to build. And there's even a bit where they're just like." Where do we build this thing? Well, where do we build it? Because it's got to be like a certain distance for like safety reasons. But also after a while, they're like, yeah, we've built it. It can shoot the beam, but it can't deflect it yet. Um, Should we just use it now? And they're just like, sure. And I'm like, wait a couple days. Get it right. (laughs) What are we doing here? We want want the job done right. That's what we want. It's a battle zone with aliens, William. You got to rush that shit. Yeah, gotta get, get out there and take care of those aliens. If it's not hasty, I don't want it. Look, there's there's dudes in motorcycle helmets that want our women. We need to stop them. <laughs> this, is, this is very pressing. Yeah, the women, of course, do get kidnapped. And it's up to uh, one of the uh, heroic scientists to, in the middle of the giant battle that's going to potentially destroy the Mysterians forever or destroy humanity, uh, one of the scientists says, okay, listen, no one else is making this a priority. I'm going to have to go in myself. And he, like, wanders into... Apparently, they weren't really anticipating just one dude trying to, like, well, infiltrate like, I, there. I like that, though. It's yeah. kind of, like, hubris on the bad guy's part. Yeah, it's, it's just it's like, like they like wouldn't in, possibly do something that stupid. Going back to Star Wars, yeah. remember, they just sort of, like, fly into the Death Star. It's like... Yeah. There's not, like, security protocols. You can yeah. just go... Oh, we it's too big. Yeah. yeah but, and anybody can fly up to that thing. I, I, Who knows like, how many, like, enemy ships were flying around the Death Star at the that's time. That's true. Um, in any case... 
he he goes in, he grabs one of their ray guns, he shoots all their cool stuff. And they're like, oh no, our cool stuff. Yeah. And it, that, of course, and it, and is their undoing and makes them defenseless. Big, wonderful and, big sets of these yeah. spinning devices and big spheres so full of unknowable cool. liquids. So, yeah, really cool looking stuff. Yeah. But, um, and of course, we stay... Solve the problem. The Mysterians fuck off. And the Mysterians are fleeing in terror, and we just keep shooting them. Yeah. <laughs> it's really messed up. And don't come back, neither. Yeah. There's, there's, uh, so, and, and we win. When the Mysterians are gone, and we've succeeded at repelling the Mysterians. There's a line in this movie, I want to say, um, I don't, I think I don't, I don't think I read it down specifically. I think I paraphrased it. Where they're talking about, you know, we, we've got all of this fate of the world stuff happening, but we do we do we have a responsibility as scientists to make sure we get everything right, dot all our T's, do all the correct processes. And someone says, if the fate of the world is at stake, yeah, and I'm definitely paraphrasing this. Right. If the fate of the world is at stake, scientists can have no honor or shame. On the surface. This seems like a, uh, like a, a colonialist film. Here, these guys are going to try to colonize us. We got to fight them back, mm. and it definitely works on that level, one hundred percent. That's definitely a thing that's happening. There's also definitely, uh, you know, that that certain touch of commentary about what happens when the Americans get involved. Well, we have yeah. a we have a doom ray that we well, were just working on. American can do that, and uh, sadly, yeah. the film doesn't pause yeah. to say, do we want Americans bringing in? Yeah. Death bombs. That's not really what we're talking yeah. about here. What what the, it, the weird thing is is that after we had Ishiro Honda made God Gojira, which was a story about how, um, you know, we nuclear, sci- nuclear fallout has yeah, unintended consequences, has unintended yeah. consequences, and it's about sciences uh, scientists, heroic scientists, debating the ethics of what they have done, of what they have created, and what they must create in order to solve the problem. Uh, scientists who believe that. Maybe the choices that we made to solve this problem weren't good, mm-hmm. or maybe they were short-sighted, or maybe they're just—it's a mixed bag and they're very tragic. There's—it has a thoughtful approach to scientists. Yeah. The the Mysterians is about how science is going to kill us, and the people who have the best science are the ones that are going to try to rule the world. Well, and it's it's like it's not anti weaponry; it's anti science. Re- read, read that quote again because yeah, it's it's yeah, actually it's about like, how uh, science. It's, it's, uh, if the if the fate of the Earth or world or uh, something like that, the fate of the Earth is at stake, scientists can have no honor or shame. Yeah, the the idea being, uh, you have to put aside wh- whatever whatever yeah. ethics or moral qualms you might have. Uh, the scientific principle is the thing. And let's see if I okay, can track if, down the exact. If you quote. are like an, an actual scientist. You're trying to sort of objectively record things, right? As objectively as possible, trying to get an objective mm. view of reality. Uh, so yeah, try to put biases aside. Try yeah. to uh, understand your biases, and then get it as as objective a reading as you possibly can. Okay, in in that context, the quote is good. Yeah. Uh, that's also the exact kind of language that led to making a bomb that killed. Yeah, isn't people. it? Isn't it? Yeah. Makes you think. Well, I, I wish... I mean, the movie doesn't really think about it. The movie is... No, the movie is, the movie is very the much... The a party. It's just well, the, movie's, the movie's the, a destruction party. Destruction is fun. Look, the destruction is great. The production design is wonderful. The costume design is wonderful. The, the, the visual effects are grand. The score is great. It's a lot of fun. Mm. I really like the Mysterians a lot. Um, it does have some... Like, every movie has 
some kind of point. Especially if he's got a villain. Because hmm. the, whatever the villain is uh, saying they want, that's what the audience doesn't want them to have. Yeah. And that enforces some kind of moral point. Uh, which is why it's kind of important to be like sort of responsible about it and decide what your villain is going to want or oppose. Because then like the impressionable people in the audience will go, yeah, fuck that. Hmm. It's one of the problems, reasons why I have a problem with a lot of recent blockbuster movies. Uh, where I think we might have brought this up recently, where uh, the, the, the villains the villain are, has like a legitimate concern that's yeah. never addressed. Yeah, and, like like in Godzilla: King of the Monsters, where the villains are people who are saying, "Hey, listen, humanity has destroyed the climate. We've completely wrecked ourselves, and we're going to like throw ourselves into extinction. The only solution we can think of." Uh, is to put a halt on man's progress. And the only thing we can do to do that is, of course, giant monsters, which is, of course, ridiculous. Mm. But you can stop the giant monsters. You can mm. and, you, and you can stop those people from doing bad things in pursuit of their goals. But these movies, whether it's Hobbs and Shaw or Avengers Endgame or whatever, they never actually address the original grievance. Yeah. Which means... They're okay with it, which they, means they that the, improve. what they're what they're basically saying is that the people who care about things like climate change mm. and other existential threats that scientists have been warning us about for many many years uh, are the ones who are wrong and overreacting, and all we really need is the power of friendship and weaponry. To solve all our problems. And then you're sort of looking at them like... But they don't solve the problem. You don't actually yeah. solve the fundamental problem. Yeah. You solve the problem of the people who are trying to solve that problem. Who, yeah, maybe in a misguided well, the, way, but the, we're the, we're, villains, we're the yeah. ones... That, you're saying that the problem is the people trying to solve problems. Yeah. Which is yeah. weird. So, you can make like a big blockbuster entertainment, but when you do make choices about the, what you present and the way you present it... And it is, I think, okay and totally fair game to point out mm. that's a weird thing you decided yeah, I, I to support think, uh, or, or be opposed to. This is actually going to go back around to our discussion of special effects. But I think when you're yeah. talking about these modern blockbusters, yeah. um, I feel like those ethical dilemmas and those problems need to be addressed because the special effects are now so real. Yeah. I, we can't sort of like gloss it over with the fact that this is sort of a fantastical world, however fantastical it might be. Look at something mm. like the Avengers. Yeah. It's all these CGI characters and fantasy aliens and magical beings and super, super technologies. Uh, and they're all animated to look photorealistic. Yeah. All the costumes so, in those movies are CGI. Yeah. Like, yeah. just like the shirts that they're wearing. like And, they, and, and they're convincing. I didn't know. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. A lot of, um, you look at uh, a character like Thanos. Like, that's done in motion capture. Yeah. But convincing looking being. Yeah, uh, it looks, looks, yeah, it's cool looking. Yeah. Uh, so, because things look so real, we're now engaging with them a little bit differently. We're engaging them as if they are. Yeah. And if we're engaging them with they are, if we're not dazzled by the special effects or, mm. you know... Or, or, or amused by them. Amused anyway. or I think that the world is so cool that now we're kind of trying to engage with the ideas. But they're not being written with the ideas in, in yeah. intact. Now, when you're watching yeah. something like The Mysterians, yeah. where the special effects are a little bit clunky and they don't look entirely real, uh, clearly these mm -hmm. things are miniatures, uh, we're able to bridge gaps with our imagination. Right. We're engaging with it a lot differently and we're accepting that this is sort of an artificial universe. Yeah. So when 
Americans come in with super weapons and they're not engaging with those ideas, we're kind of okay with it because clearly this is a heightened universe where moral dilemmas like that don't really exist. And yet they do, though. Now, that's the thing, is that, and again, Ishiro Hondo has toyed with a similar theme from, mm. from a different angle, though. But this is what I think is interesting about it. He toyed with the theme of science and the consequences of science run amok without responsibility or care in Gojira. But Gojira is a tonally a very different film. It is a more somber and severe film mm. than The Mysterians, which... You know, you, you you wouldn't have to change too much in order to make that one more serious and severe as well. There's people die in that movie, in the Mysterians. You know, people are kidnapped, people are colonized. Like, there's a lot of really serious shit going on here, and it's done with a lighter hand. But he does bring up in the film similar themes, and I just think it's interesting that what started out as a theme that was a bit more sober and complicated. Because, again, the only way to stop Godzilla is to create another weapon of mass destruction to keep the cycle going. And that's what's happening here in the Mysterians. And the only way to stop the Mysterians is to develop the technology that the Mysterians are warning us will destroy our planet. Mm. But we don't really dive into that too deeply. We don't really discuss the hypocrisy of that or the irony of that. What we do get is a general sort of tut-tutting or tisking about just science in general Mm. which is an interesting extrapolation i think it's overly broad uh i have very different context for it though you know shirahondo's making this in the 1950s where nuclear proliferation is very much the height of everyone's mind where uh, mm. Science was making huge leaps and bounds, and the world was changing in dramatic ways. And that's happening now, too. You look at what's happening with uh, uh, generative AI uh, and how we're genuinely concerned about what that's going to mean for... For the arts, mostly. For, for, well, yeah. not, just, not even just the, I mean, the arts, but also we're seeing real practical implications, like... People have had their requests for, like, political asylum denied because they were using AI to translate them, and there was an inconsistency in the translation. Oh, wow, okay, And they yeah. said, okay, I don't believe your story because when you told the story Especially this time, movie. you said this. When you told the story the second time, you said this, and it wasn't their fault. It was the AI. Yeah. There are real-world consequences to this shit. These things are dangerous. We're looking at more increasingly uh, believable deepfakes. What the fuck is that going to do to the spread of information? It's already hard enough out there to get accurate information or to, even if you have it, to convince anyone that, that it's real. Yeah. We're just muddying those waters and we're doing so, and we're just, we're just sort of lumbering along catastrophically, <laughs> you know, certainly without enough care, I think. Uh, and so like, yeah, the, the proliferation of science without, care to responsibility without honor or shame uh, is dangerous. I, I, I grant you all of that. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's not, maybe, maybe it's, maybe I shouldn't be as critical of it as I am. Maybe it is more well, apropos I, than I'm giving it credit for. It just, as I've said, I, I, I think, like science. I, think, I, <laughs> I want to like the, science. I think science is neat. The, the science in this movie is such junk. Well, that's true. Uh, it, it, this is fantasy science it fiction It is fantasy junk. science fiction junk. Uh, and the film is, uh, I mean, it's just brief, breezy. It's clearly yeah. devoted towards like action that yeah. it's not engaging with the scientific ideas. I would like that. 
Yeah. I like the really cerebral scientific stories. I like, you know, interesting sci-fi ideas. Uh, but that a film like The Mysterians doesn't do it uh, is something I'm quite happy to forgive. No, no, I'm just saying it it brings it up. And therefore, yeah. since we're talking about the movie at mm. length, I think it's something that we should at least address. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, I just think it's interesting that it, it makes an interesting double feature with, with Gojira. Yeah. Because they're trying to approach the same themes, but from a different angle and a very different tone. Yeah, well, and, and coming and to different conclusions, which is interesting. But what I what I said is that this was at the very start of this podcast is this was sort of an eye opening moment, mm. uh, because you said Godzilla took a little bit of a break. It was Godzilla raids again. Uh, we already watched Rodan, and I think it was in this era before they had picked up with Godzilla again mm-hmm. that the essence of what Godzilla was to become really formed, mm. and we're having these sort of broader, uh, fan- more fantastical genre films shaping a lot of a certain type of uh, popular entertainment in Japan at the time. Yeah. Uh, so the Mysterians is just as thrilling as some of the Godzilla films. I'm oh saying. yeah. Uh, it and it's already here. I didn't have to wait for Godzilla. It's <laughs> like all these other monsters and other interesting science fiction movies, like yeah. adve- adventure action pictures that were coming out at the time that are just as good as anything Godzilla provided. Well, that's a good segue because next time hmm. on Thank Godzilla, it's Friday. We got a couple more films without Godzilla in them before we get back to the Godzilla proper, and uh, that's going to be a good one because that's going to be King Kong versus Godzilla. But before hmm. that. We've got a film from Ishiro Honda about a giant reptile monster mm. attacking Japan. It's not called Godzilla. It is called Varan, the Unbelievable. I think it's Varan. I could be wrong about that. You're absolutely right. I, I don't V-A-R-A-N, actually V-A-R-A-N. I haven't watched that one yet. We haven't watched it yet. We do these kind of closer to when we record so they're fresh in our head. So I haven't watched that one yet. But regardless, that will be coming up next time on... Thank Godzilla, it's Friday. There are two versions of Varan or Varan. Mm. Uh, much like Godzilla, this one had uh, an English language localization yeah. with, that actually incorporated like totally new dialogue plot. I, I think it might have even included some, uh, some footage from Godzilla Raids again, although I have to check on that. Uh, so I will definitely be checking out both versions. Uh-huh. We're not, we're not going to split this one up into two because it's not a Godzilla movie proper and we don't want to spend... And it's been two whole weeks on Varen, because uh, it's, it's not that big a character in the Godzilla mythology. But we, well, I will Varen, check out both versions of the film. All right, Varen would show up in uh, Destroy, All uh, Monsters. Destroy All Monsters. Yeah. Relevant, yes, but we're not going to spend two episodes on it. But I will watch both versions of it. I hope you have the time to do as well. Uh, and we will discuss the differences mm. between those versions as well. So if you're watching along with us and you're wondering which version, both. Or whichever one you like. Uh, whichever one you like. I mean, like, if you want to be a completionist, and I know that's kind of what we do a lot of the time, is very completionist works. We have a Patreon podcast where we're watching literally every episode of Star Trek in history. That's a completionist effort. So yeah. if that's if that's your bag and that's one of the reasons why you're here, that's what we're doing. If you want to see the complete list of movies that we are planning to cover, which is uh, amendable, if there's anything you think that we've left out, or anything at all. You think it needs to be made a change to it? We are open to that. We are, you know, trying to be as thorough as we can. Uh, it's on my Letterbox page. You can just look up my name, William Bibiani, on Letterbox. It's a it's a list that's available to the public. Uh, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. 
Uh, if you want to talk about anything we discussed in this episode, anything, uh, uh, do, do you remember watching The Mysterians when it came out? Do you have any particular information about the making of The Mysterians you want to share with us? Uh, do you just think that stuff is neat and you want to contribute? Or if you want to talk about anything else, you can always email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We might review, uh, we might read your letter on an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail. We also have a P.O. Box if you prefer to email us the old-fashioned way. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Yeah, send us a physical letter to P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yeah, our aforementioned Patreon is patreon.com slash network. If you have the means to help us keep this show going, we would certainly appreciate it you get all of our new shows ad free you can also uh, uh vote for future episodes of things you get a whole bunch of patreon exclusive podcasts including all our yesterday's the star trek podcast i just mentioned uh we have two oscars podcasts uh one is called only the best we review every single movie ever nominated for best picture the other one is only the best international we review every single movie ever nominated for best international picture uh, we have uh, podcasts in our back catalog dedicated to the Adam West Batman television series, uh, Firefly, made-for-TV movies, uh, old Disney movies that are not on Disney+, Plus, commentary tracks. We just released a commentary track for Clive Barker's Lord of Illusions, the director's cut. We do uh, hangouts on Discord with our uh, patrons. It's a lot of fun. Thank you to everybody who helps contribute and keep the show alive. We couldn't do it without you. Uh, and yeah, if you have the means, please support us. And if you don't, uh, and you want to help out the show, wherever you find us, leave us a review, a star rating, a couple of sentences. It really helps us uh, jump up the algorithm. Yeah. Show people that there's that, that wonderful engagement everyone's always talking about. Uh, really, uh, really is the world of good. And if you can, if you can't do that, tell someone about the show, tweet about it, Instagram about it, something that would also be really, really great. We'd love you for it, but we love you anyway. Anyway, uh, that's it for Thank Godzilla, it's Friday. Uh, I'm on Twitter at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibel. Together we're at Critic Acclaim. And um, that's it. It's it's Friday, and it, and it was Godzilla. Thank you, Godzilla. Rar. Rar.